Hi, I'm Mike Sherman, head coach of the Montreal Alouettes, and you're listening to CJLO Sports. Welcome back to CJLO Sports on CJLO 1690 AM. I'm Matthew Coit. Joined with me is Nicholas DiGiovanni. I'm so pumped right now. I'm that pumped. Was, that was a good intro. I love that song, The Man by the Killers. Yeah. That was so good. And we have a special guest today. We do have a special guest. So today on the show in a couple minutes, we're going to be playing our interview with head coach of the Montreal Alouettes. You heard him there in the intro. Mike Sherman will be on the show in a pre-recorded interview that uh, I went and did on Wednesday before their game against uh, the Blue Bombers. Exclusive interview too, right? Exclusive. Not a big deal. <laughs> not a big deal. Exactly. A big deal. So I guess we should start off with a little bit of uh, a CFL recap this week here. Uh, did you manage to catch any of the games? I didn't. I didn't. Okay, well, uh, I'll, I'll be fully honest. <laughs> well, it was, it was you know an eventful week for you know the CFL. If we're starting off with the Red Blacks versus Eskimo games, uh, Red Blacks taking that game twenty-eight to fifteen with with uh, Lewis Ward breaking the CFL record for most consecutive field goals. With I think he's at thirty-seven right now. He made seven field goals in this game. You, you know what? Kickers are super underrated. I, I think we saw that in the NFL. Uh, NFL week one and we talked about it on last week's show um, you won't talk about kickers until they miss kicks exactly so huge shout out to, to Lewis Ward yeah I mean man that that takes focus determination a lot of practice uh, I know one, one of my good friends his cousin uh, used to play in the CFL Chris Milo and you, you just don't in- realize how important to a team they are they put up points for you and in fact, Milo actually has an RSEC record for uh, most points ever. So nobody's scored more points in the RSEQ than Christopher Milo, and he's a kicker. Exactly. And, you know, seven field goals in a game, that's, he carried that win. <laughs> he got most of the points. He, he scored 21 points off his leg, which is phenomenal for him. So huge shout out to Lewis Ward for breaking that record. And he, he could keep it going. He, he has not missed yet. Seven field goals in a game, he's on a roll. So good for him. Uh, moving on to the next game, closest game of the week with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Barely beating the Toronto Argonauts 30 to 29, which is you know one point game for the the Rough Riders there, and that's a tough one for uh, the Argonauts to lose after a tough season so far. That that's a that, that is a big win for Saskatchewan because now they're two points ahead of Edmonton for second in the West, so that mm-hmm. guarantees the, the home uh, the home game in the West of, uh, semifinal. And if they lost, I know Edmonton lost two to Ottawa. Um, if they had lost, they would still would have been uh, tied on points. Mm-hmm. with uh Edmonton so so just getting that two-point advantage with uh five games to go is huge they're, they're still four points behind Calgary for first Calgary does have the game in hand so it's gonna be tough if, for them to catch Calgary and you know what Toronto whew, that uh, that almost killed their playoff chances because now they're tied last in the league with the Alouettes mm-hmm. and another kicker that's kind of picked up in the second kicker in a row we have to kind of mention here is Brett uh Louder with a 56 yarder for, to win the game for the Rough Riders 56 yards is is not a small feat, especially, you know, in the CFL. So a couple kickers having great weeks. It's good to see them kind of get the recognition they deserve. Imagine kicking a football 56 yards and through uprights. So you have to be accurate too. Like I could barely kick it five yards. I can barely kick a rock. You know? So that's where we're at. When I'm walking down the street, I, you know, when you kick your rock, your, your foot just exactly. stops. Huh? I kick a rock, I become Ronaldo. And now 
<laughs> this guy's kicking 56 yards. So Brett Lowther, you know, a great week for him. And he kind of joked too because he got put on the 56-yard line after an intentional grounding penalty from uh, Zach Caleros, the QB for the Riders. And he said after the game, uh, oh, yeah, I told Zach to take that penalty because I wanted to try from from further out. Good for so, him. Good for him. You know, and he made it, and he won that game on his own. So, you know, he's, he had a hell of a week as well. Uh, on to the next game. The BC Lions beat the Hamilton Hamilton Tiger Cats 35-32 to in overtime, which is, you know, an exciting game for them. You know, uh, Lions QB Jonathan Jennings coming back in, throwing it for 346 yards, three TDs, and no picks. So hell of a game for him, and he kind of has started at least to try to gain that uh, confidence back in the starting role. You know what I like about the CFL, Matt? Overtimes don't finish in ties. Thank God. Thank God. I love their overtime where they start at the 35 and it's almost like a, a shootout mm-hmm. where each each offense has this opportunity to um, to, to win the game. And it, it makes it so exciting. Obviously, th- this game was uh, it finished on a, on a field goal. It's always m- more fun when it finishes on a touchdown. But uh, shout out to CFL overtimes for actually doing something. The CFL overtime is what the NFL should be doing. And in the same way that the NHL did the three-on-three overtime... Like the, the AHL. Exactly. The the NH, the NFL, sorry, should probably take in and look at the CFL for OT examples because finishing game and ties in football doesn't make much sense. And well, You know what? They don't even have to look far because the NCAA does the same uh, overtime format. So you got the the CFL, the NCAA doing one overtime, and the NFL instead this year. You, you know why there's ties? Because this year overtime is 10 minutes mm-hmm. instead of 15. So yesterday I was watching the Saints game, and that went to overtime, and Drew Brees took the Saints down the field in seven minutes. So imagine if they didn't score a touchdown, they didn't get a field goal, whatever, something happened. Matt Ryan would have only had three minutes to march down the field. It's 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 not a lot of time. It's one possession each. Mm-hmm. And moving on to the last game of the week, before we talk about the Alouettes game, I think we're going to jump to the Sherman interview, get his take. I asked him a little bit about this upcoming game and how he felt about it and how he felt about Johnny Manziel coming in and stepping back into that starting role. So we're going to cut right to that interview with Mike Sherman. We'll be back in a couple minutes. So upcoming week here, you've named uh, Johnny Manziel as the starter. Kind of what's the reasoning behind that and why have you decided to go back to him for this week? Well, John was the starter and then had the concussion. and He was in concussion protocol and then uh, he also got sick. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, Pipkin went in and played and played well, did a good job, won two games for us. And uh, mm-hmm. since he was the hot hand, we stayed with him. We lost last week, which certainly wasn't his fault. We had everybody contributed to that. But uh, I just thought it was an appropriate time to, to, to give John a chance to, to go back in there and, um, and play quarterback. And we'll, you know, um, but Pip is a is 23 years old. He's got a lot of great days ahead of him as a football player, and uh, uh, he'll be back on the field again. I promise you. And what message does that send to the team? Kind of going back to a guy like Johnny, who brings so much to the field. Well, the, the truth of the matter is, I mean, uh, I think our team uh, has a respect for all our quarterbacks, uh, particularly uh, Manziel and Pipkin, and. Uh, uh, they just want to win a football game. That's all they care about. So uh, uh, either quarterback they would be fine with. And uh, this week, uh, it's Johnny. And you've obviously known him for a long time now. What's it like to kind of uh, see him evolve as a player and, and this far into the season and be back with him again? Well, it's been uh, he's had quite a run. Uh, you know, I recruited him to Texas A&M, and then I, uh, he, he was with me for one year, a year we redshirted him, and then uh, – I left and went to the Miami Dolphins, and he went on to 
to win the Heisman Trophy. But uh, so it's been a while since we've been together. So it's nice to get back and uh, see the same same kid again, and uh, but only a little bit more mature and a little bit wiser than it maybe was at that time in college. Like we all have a tendency in college to uh, take a step back. Two and one in the past couple weeks here. How do you keep that momentum going uh, this week and in this next game? Well, my big thing is practice uh, is everything. So we, if you practice hard, uh, you play hard. And uh, had some good practices. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, Winnipeg's going to be a challenge for us. It's a long way to go to go play a football game. But uh, uh, we're ready for that. And uh, uh, we're going to definitely go out there and try to win this football game. Our back's against the wall in my mind. Uh, we're, we're working to get a spot in the playoffs. And it's critical that we win this football game. What are some keys to the game that... Uh the Alouettes need to execute on to have success? Well, it always starts with me, the kicking game, which is field position. Uh, we have to win the kicking game, so we have the positive field position. We haven't had that lately, and we need to get it back. Uh, defensively, the, uh, we have to stop the run. They're a good running football team. They're very aggressive. They also have uh, an assortment of trick plays, so they, uh, they'll run two or three trick plays during the game to, to hopefully generate, from their mindset, uh, positive yardage and get the ball down the field. Uh, offensively, we have to be able to run the football uh, uh, effectively against them and to maybe take some of the pressure off our quarterbacks and put it more on the offensive line and the running backs. And with Johnny coming back and being able to step back into that lineup, what are you looking from him this game? Well, I just want John to you know let the game come to him. Don't force the ball uh, in the first game he played he kind of forced forced the issue a little bit uh, I wanted to take what the defense gives him instead of trying to make something definitely happen that's not there so just try to let the game come to him and along with uh, Johnny for yourself this is also your first year in the CFL we're kind of far enough in the season what is the how have you had to adjust your coaching style and your kind of game plans for this league well, in the NFL, every week's the same, except for Monday night football game. It's a little bit different, but every week is pretty much the same. So you know exactly how you're going to practice. You know you're going to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Well, here where you you know you can play on any just about any any day after Thursday. You know on th- Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I mean, your travel is the biggest challenge that you have in trying to keep your team fresh. Uh, you go earlier in the season, we go out to the West Coast, come back to Montreal, then go back out to the West Coast. And then back to Montreal again. So, I mean, it, uh, the travel issue is probably the biggest challenge, trying to manage the team, make sure their legs are fresh, um, and, and they don't get worn out with the travel that we do here in the CFL. And as far as on the field and how you kind of approach the game itself, how do you have to adjust uh, your coaching style? Well, obviously there's a lot of nuances with uh, CFL football and, uh, you know, the waggles, the motion, the um, uh, how the passing game is is divided. Also, the, the the width and length of the field is different. The red zone is different. So there's a lot of variations that you have to adjust to that are not familiar with um, uh, the NFL. So uh, and I think it makes the game more exciting. To be honest with you, I think the kickoff rule is a great rule. Um, I, I love the fact that we we have the waggles and the motion that allows us to be a lot more creative. So, uh, but it is a different game than the National Football League. And so far this season, who have been some players that have maybe surprised you a little bit? Well, I, uh, I would have to say uh, Pipkin, number one. Uh, you know, we, we actually cut him in camp. Uh, he had a hamstring injury early in camp, didn't get a lot of reps, and we let him go. And the fact that he came back and uh, did what he did for us uh, for three weeks, um, it was pretty impressive. Uh, so he, he's one. I think Stanbeck's another one. He's a young running back that we have uh, 
Ryder Stone is another one. Um, Chris Ackey, linebacker. I mean, there's a lot of surprises because I didn't know any of these guys until I took this job. So uh, anybody that played well, Bobby, was a pleasant surprise uh, uh, for me and my staff. And now you kind of mentioned trying to make that playoff push. Now, what's it going to take from the team to, to make it into the postseason? Well, they just have to win uh, win the rest of their games. I mean, if you win the rest of your games, just let the chips fall where they may. You don't have to... You don't have to second guess yourself. So you just kind of, you know, hopefully you win the rest of your games, and um, and and that will do it. Uh, you know, fortunately we're in the east eastern side of things. It's a little bit easier than the western side. Western side has a lot more challenges, although some of them there can come over and take a spot, and that's what we have to do. We have to try to eliminate those people from crossing over and taking an eastern spot uh, from the western side. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Coach. Oh, thank you. So that was head coach Mike Sherman of the Montreal Alouettes. Talking on Wednesday before his game against uh, the Blue Bombers, Blue Bombers here. And, you know, uh, it's tough to hear that and then see the result they got. Uh, obviously. He said, hopefully we win the rest of our games. Like, if you're relying on that to make the playoffs, eh, exactly. not too good. Exactly. And, you know, they lost 31-14. Uh, to 14. The Bombers end a four-game losing streak. Manziel sacked five times in his return to the starting role. It's been a rough season for him in the CFL. I don't think it, it's gone as well as he would have hoped. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a it's a game and it's a season that's kind of not uh, going as the, the Montreal Alouettes would like, obviously. I think we played a, a clip in um, in the uh, intro. I don't have it right here. I'll, I'll pull it up in one second, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the lines, um, uh, linebackers, defensive linemen, Talked about uh, sa- sacking Man- Manzel, and uh, it was pretty funny to, to listen to. If I could just pull that up right here. This is what happens in radio when you're not prepared. <laughs> okay, good. Sacking quarterbacks, but even more fun when they have a million Instagram followers. <laughs> <laughs> That's just That's amazing to quote. listen to. That's a great quote. <laughs> and they got it done, five sacks in that game. And we're going to head to break here real quick. We'll be back in a couple minutes. You're listening to CJLO Sports on CJLO 1690. Pierre, what's the number one thing you're optimistic about in terms of the Ottawa Senators? We're a team. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to CJLO Sports on CJLO 1690 AM. What you just heard there was Senators GM Pierre Dorian talking about what he's optimistic about this upcoming season. <laughs> they have a team in Ottawa. They do have a team in Ottawa. It cracks me up every time. Maybe not for long, though, <laughs> the way this is going. <laughs> cracks me up. You know where they also have a team? Where else? Well, a football team is right here, Concordia. And they didn't do so well either this weekend. 74-3 to against the uh, UDM Université de montréal Carabin. 74-3. to Nick, do you think that a 74-3 to loss is a good game? Um, I mean, it, it depends how you look at it. No, but it's not. It's not. It was brutal for the Stingers out there a couple of days ago against the a really strong UDM Kagabane, but still what, 74 the, points is, is... They're one of the best teams in the country, but I, I looked it up. Uh, obviously, we talked about this before the show. Um, on the Stingers website, you can only go back the schedules until 98. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the most points they've given up, uh, tied with the most in that 20-year span. The other time was against Laval in 2014, and it's their biggest loss in that in that 20 year span. Also, so I don't know if it's their biggest loss ever, but it's obviously up there. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I was covering the game uh, for the Concordian, and Dustin Kagan Fleming was there for the link, and we, and we spoke to uh, Collinson after the game, Brad Collinson, the head coach, and uh, this is what he had to say. 
halfway through the season now. Um, some really strong results last two weeks, but some trouble with uh, Laval now. You know, what do you think? Um, what do you think you guys need to do to elevate and get to those uh, levels, those two teams? It's got to be better. How do you prepare for next week after this one? Go back to the drawing board. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. That was so bad. One of the worst post game. <laughs> Press conferences I ever did. He's obviously not happy with his team's effort and uh, how they performed, obviously. And it's, it's tough to look into it any more than they just got beat and nothing went right. Threw a lot of picks, a lot of turnovers, couldn't get any offense going. I think it was 62 yards of offense after the first half. I think you know, five total picks. Five or picks. Five it, or six and three pick sixes. It was just brutal for yeah. him out there. The Carabay's defense is almost scoring as much as their offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a couple of safeties too. I'm just gonna pull up the the stats of the game. I know the RSAC website sometimes doesn't have mm-hmm. it. Oh, they do have it. So you, you look you you look at the 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 box score. Just touchdown after touchdown. MTL, 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 MTL. Uh, Asnel Robo, uh, the running back, scored two rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown. Uh, like I said, three pick sixes. Um, I mean. The first stat you see is is first downs, and Montreal had 23 first downs, and Concordia had 18. Hey, you look at that, not too bad. Mm-hmm. Then you get into <laughs> net yards rushing, 366 yards rushing for the Catabay, 45 for the Stingers, 45. Uh, and and then, when you can't get stuff going on the ground, it puts more pressure on the quarterback to make plays, and when the defense like the Catabay are playing so well, it's tough to to have to rely on the air game. Yeah. And we saw that with three pick sixes. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? Uh, the Stingers actually had more net passing yards, 174 to 126. And <laughs> it's just because the Academy knew going in that they would beat the Stingers on the ground. They handed the ball off to Asnel Robo numerous times. Um, rushing, he had said eight attempts. That No, that has to be a mistake. No way he got eight <laughs> attempts. For 145 yards, he he got the well. There was 29 total rushes for for uh, for the Kadabe, so and 21 pass attempts. Mm-hmm. So, so they, that, they that just dominated sense. on the ground defensively. They play outplayed the Stingers' offense. Just got in their heads early, it seemed, and just took it home. Three pick sixes, and it's pretty incredible. And to put up 74 points for that team, it's I don't want to say it's unheard it, of, it, but it's a record. It's a school it's, record. I guess it is unheard of. It, it's yeah. a school record for most <laughs> it's a points in the game. School record for. Uh, the Kadame. Mm-hmm. And uh, so obviously spoke to James Tyrell after the game receiver for the Stingers. And um, he, he said there's a certain point where you just know that you're going to lose. So listen to what he had to say. I mean, it gets to a point where it's just you, like, you understand like you lost and the game's done. And uh, the score just becomes irrelevant at one point. And uh, yeah, we just you kind of move on to the next week before the game's done. How was the mentality on the bench after that? Um, obviously it was a little... A little not depressed, but like it was obviously a, a down mood. It was uh, you know it's tough. It's tough to stay up in in games when you're losing by that much, and you know the game's over. And like just to like battle your with your mind and say, you know what, I'm gonna keep going till the end. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. It's tough. You know, it's same as every week. We've got to get down in the film room and uh, you know just physically prepare ourselves and uh, get ready for a battle. So that was uh, wide receiver James Tyrell after that game. Obviously, it's it's demoralizing to be on a you know on a bench after that. It's tough to play through that, especially when you're kind of out of that game early in the third quarter, and uh, you you heard it there. It's just nothing went right for them this game. It's after kind of two strong games against uh, Sherbrooke and McGill, where they managed to even up and move to 
a, a decent record just to get beat down like this. Well, I think the one positive for the singers is they're two and two right now, mm-hmm. and and you know what the, the RSQ it's a it's a dichotomy, and f- it's almost as if there's two conferences: Conference A, Laval and the Academy, and Conference B, Stingers, McGill and Sherbrooke. Mm-hmm. And I, I think realistically, every year the Stingers have to aim at finishing first, let's say in Conference B, so getting that third place in in the RSQ. Um, Obviously, you want to beat the Catabay and you want to beat Laval, at least at home. They didn't beat the Catabay at home. They have Laval coming up on Saturday. You know, they could quickly turn around their week and pull pull off a surprise victory. But in reality, they need to be picking up those wins against Sherbrooke and McGill. And that's what they've been doing so far in the season. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And moving on to the rest of the RSEC, uh, Laval also picked up a win against McGill, 53-7. to So they're now 4-0. So we have four teams in youth sports football who are 4-0. Uh, Western is 4-0 after beating Waterloo, 67-7. Uh, and Western has only given up 39 points all year, which, as crazy that sound, sounds in four games, is actually third in youth sports. Laval and UDM have given up less points. I believe Laval has 17 uh, points given up in four games and UDM has 19 given up in four games yeah but look who they're playing exactly <laughs> but it's it's a crazy stat to see those three teams having that level of dominance uh, in Canada West University of Calgary is four as four and zero as well they beat the UBC Thunderbirds birds 32 to 28 quarterback Adam Sinagra led leads the country's in yards per game with uh, averaging about 428 a game and he's second in the country with 13 TDs which is he's I think he's almost a hundred yards ahead of the next uh, next QB on that list, which is is phenomenal for him and he's having a great season and he's obviously that success that team is is pulling it right now dominating Canada West. How about uh, Manitoba Manitoba's Des uh, Catelier? Oh yeah, Des Catelier, <laughs> buddy from back home, <laughs> one of the top uh, prospects coming out of high school, University of Manitoba. He has a starting job this year. He he's you know had a couple of great games in a row now too. Manitoba is kind of picking up the standings. I think they're in fourth place in Canada West right now. So he's having a great year as well. He's second on the the quarterback charts with, I believe it's 340-something yards a a game, which is uh, incredible for him as well. In the uh, AUS, St. Mary's also moves to 4-0 after beating Acadia 26-16. So now we have four teams that are are 4-0. And kind of going into this next week, Nick, who do you think is most likely to to lose a game or to drop a game? Well... Definitely not Laval. No. Definitely not Laval. Um, Laval takes uh, on Concordia next week. Yeah, St. Mary's is playing... Um, St. FX, which is the second FX. team in the, the OUS. I, AUS, I, I, I would say... Uh, well, it depends who's home on away, actually. Mm-hmm. You, uh, me, I believe it, it's at St. FX. It's at St. FX. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So St. Mary's will be the first team uh, dropping that game. I mean, um, the AUS is another dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, conference, it's pretty much like that in every single sport. And... Uh, so when you have the two uh, big guns facing off, facing off, kicking off—it's not hockey—against <laughs> each other, obviously creates a, a good uh, a good game. And um, so last week, yeah, Saint FX did beat Mount, Mount Allison, but only only by eight, only by eight points. Mm-hmm. So it was thirty-five twenty-seven, and so um, Saint Mary's beat Acadia twenty-six to sixteen. So two good games against four of the top teams. So it'll be a good game. It'll mm-hmm. be a good game, and uh, I think St. FX takes that one. As for Laval, I don't think they're losing. Um, Western, Western's obviously a good team. They had a strong season last year. And then Calgary's playing Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan's number two in Canada yeah. West, too, though. So that yeah. could be a game that might be, if there's any chance for an upset, that could be another one where uh, Saskatchewan might have a chance to kind of 
punch Calgary down a notch. Depends where where it is because I know obviously Canada West that home field advantage is huge. They're so passionate about <laughs> uh, university football. Um, in that one, uh, in in that conference, that's another that's another good football conference where obviously mm-hmm. a lot of um, prospects come out of. So that game is going to be uh, it's next um, next Saturday. It's at Calgary. Mm-hmm. It's at Calgary. So at Midman Stadium. So I'd have to put uh, my virtual money on Calgary for that one. <laughs> I think I'm on you with that. Uh, and you know, U Sports football, we're kind of looking at the teams that are kind of moving up to the top, and in the RSEC at least historically. We're seeing the same two teams kind of move up and all that. and But seeing the kind of, you know, competition that we have been seeing, you know, Calgary is 4-0, but UBC Thunderbirds put them within four points. So even though they have those four wins, the competition is still fairly tight, uh, unless you're looking at the Concordia UDM game, in which case <laughs> not so much. Or the same thing with the Laval uh, McGill game, 53-7. to And, you know, it, it's weird to see these divisions where you have some teams that have that competition with the top teams, but you come to a, a division like the RSEC or the uh, AUS where those top teams are the top teams and there's not much you can do about it. Matt, I, I was just looking at the U Sports website, um, the standings. So you got the options for the standings of the four different conferences. And I am very, very confused right now because instead of OUA, it says EGGS, eggs, for... <laughs> If, if you can see that on your computer, I don't know. What? It says eggs instead of OUA. So as eggs Canada West, instead of the AUS as out, O-U-T, <laughs> and then the RSEC. Some rebranding we don't know about. Uh, it's me a breakfast-friendly e- division. <laughs> you go out west this morning to have eggs, and then you're out of there. <laughs> but uh, um, the eggs or the OUA division, that's another... Um, tight one. So Western's four and zero. Then Carlton's four and one. And then there's Ottawa three and one. Waterloo at three and two. Uh, Queens at three and two. McMaster at three and two. Sir Wilfred Laurier at two and two. Guelph two and two. There's a lot of teams in this in this division. And then York one and four. Windsor zero oh and four. Toronto zero oh and four. So that's a strong division. For the most part, that division is super even. And I'm sure a couple of those games could have gone either way. And you have a team that's maybe three and two that could be four and one or could be two and three. It, that division is so strong and the competition there is so good that, you know, even if a team is, you know, two and four or, or has a losing record on almost every any given night, they can still go into someone else's stadium and win that game. Well, I, I'm just looking at the scores from this week. McMaster beat Sir Wilfred Laurie 21 to 20 at home. Mm-hmm. Guelph uh, lost to Queens 33 to 32. Guelph uh, was at home. And then Toronto, the 0-4 team, they lost by 12 points to Carlton, the 4-1 and team. Mm-hmm. So this is not an easy division, and OUA has some of the stronger athletics and pretty much all the sports too. Mm-hmm. And just want to remind you that you're listening to CJLO 1690 AM broadcasting out of Montreal, Quebec. And we're going to kind of transition to women's hockey here with the Concordia Stingers. They're having a, a pretty good preseason, Nick. They are. They are. They ha- they, they had their first loss um, yesterday, and it was against the Canadiens. <laughs> so they had obviously a scrimmage or an exhibition game, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. against um, the uh, the professional team. Sorry, it's their second loss. They lost to, to Ryerson mm-hmm. in an exhibition game. Um, what so, was the score against the Canadian? Uh, 7-1. 7-1. 7-1. But still playing a professional team. And, yeah. And 
know. basically it's basically the professional team versus the farm team exactly <laughs> because the way these drafts have gone <laughs> yeah exactly uh obviously singers captain from last year mary joel Lar got drafted uh by the uh by the canadian in the mm-hmm. sixth or seventh round the captain from two years ago tracy Ving, uh was drafted uh the 2017 draft mm-hmm. i'm guessing 2017 draft and uh, she played for them last year she played most of the games so uh it seems like next captain of the singers is gonna also end up <laughs> that's kind of the trend we're seeing isn't yeah it? <laughs> playing on uh like canadian and and obviously uh the singers won the uh rsiq championship last year finished third in um in u sports nationals they won bronze and this is a team that anybody who likes hockey should come out to watch their games obviously um the w- women's hockey doesn't get as many fans but this is the second best level of hockey in North America, mm-hmm. the, the the Stingers. And some of these players are going to play in the Olympics. Yeah, that's the way it is. Even like two players from the Stingers this year, goalie Catherine Purchase and forward Claudia Dubois, were invited to the national team camp. Uh, after, Audrey Belzil also. And Audrey Belzil, excuse me. So And that's after the summer showcase where they went with the U Sports All-Star team and played against the development squads of Team Canada. So it's kind of showing that women's hockey and U Sports is, is really no joke. And... Those games last year, the RSEC finals against UDM, where the Stingers uh, won that series, that was some of the most exciting hockey of the year. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was an incredible three-game series. It was. And uh, they also had some of the best uh, scores in the mm-hmm. RSEC. So if you look at the, the leading scores in the regular season last year, Alexandra LaBelle and Jessica Cormier uh, from the Caribbean led with 23 and 22 points, respectively. And then, and then the next four players... On the list are all for, all, all from Concordia: uh, Claudia Dubois, Audrey Belzil, rookie Lydia Filion, and Sophie Gagnon. Um, they had 20, 18, and 17, 17 points respectively. So that was that was that was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Their depth is so it goes so deep all the way through the lineup. Anybody on that team can score. You're seeing that with four people who have essentially very similar stats, and to have a team like that that's virtually unchanged that won bronze last year. Going into this season, a year with more experience, with a year of more that winning culture, they're going to be even an even tougher team to beat. Well, part of that winning culture is also having Julie Chu. Exactly. When you have Julie Chu, a four-time Olympian, as your head coach, and then um, and then a couple other Olympians uh, as your assistant uh, uh, coaches, such as Carolyn Willett, uh, three-time I think she's three or four-time gold medalist. You're bringing so much winning into uh into the team and and you kind of see that the the players are willing to to fight not physically fight on the ice but battle uh night in and night night out for each other and i think that's a direct result of having chu and and willette um kind of guide that team and making them understand what they had to go through as players obviously chu played on the american team willette played on the the canadian national team and um i mean even uh even the goalie coach emirates mashmeyer she plays for like Canadian, and she goes goes and helps out uh, with Catherine Purchase every so often. Purchase, obviously, one of the better one of the better goalies in the league, who I think is going to end up playing on like Canadian, if not on uh, the Canadian national team one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, we we covered both of us covered a lot of games last year, and it's uh, like I said before, Matt. It's exciting, and it's. Um, it's almost a do-or-die attitude every single night, mm-hmm. even on November 13th against like Ottawa. Exactly. And I've always said this. If you want to build a winning culture, you have to bring in people who have won. <laughs> bring in someone like Julie Chu, 
Carolyn Wallet, people who have been to those yeah, those big level and won medals and had that experience, you see the impact immediately when they come to this team and they start winning games, they're winning championships. And it's just something where even when you have uh, good players and a good team, it doesn't come together until you have that winning culture. And that's something that we're seeing at every level of the sport. Even another... Um part of the, the singer staff um, strength and conditioning co- coach uh, Lisa Marie Breton she played on um, the stingers from 97 to 2002 and played in five national championships um, and won two so she she played on the stingers when uh, women's hockey was first incorporated into the the CIS the, the former name of, of U sports and and she just she won a lot <laughs> with the with the stingers she was actually just inducted into Concordia Sports Hall of Fame that's right um, this weekend so when you have just just her to have there as strength and conditioning coach, even as she's uh, teaching teaching the girls how, how to skate better, how to play better along the boards, you have that winning mentality. Uh, Les Lawden is a is an advisor with the team, so mm-hmm. he was a coach for about twenty years. Uh, obviously, won a lot again, won two national championships. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a real it's a real winning culture with the with the exactly. women's hockey team. Exactly, and they're a team that. It, it only looks like they're going to get better with this year. They, they are. It, they're not going to get worse. No, they're not going to get worse. <laughs> and you think this is a team that can now, they won bronze, obviously, last year at the national championships. But do you think there's a chance that this team could go even further? I, I think I think uh, you have to consider them for national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Obviously, UBC, um, Alberta, they're, they're up there. McGill, too. Manitoba. Ma- Manitoba. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, Manitoba. Uh, I don't know if they had a one-off season, but they had a really bad season two years ago, and then they had a really good season last year. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Panda Bears, uh, Alberta, had uh, won the national championship in 2017, and last year didn't do so well. So out in the Canada West, I don't know what's going to be happening, flip-flop. Uh, obviously, the RSEC, I'd, I'd have to say the RSEC is one of the best divisions mm-hmm. um, in U-sports because if you look at the national champions, most of them are from the RSEC. Uh, between McGill, Montreal, and Concordia, obviously Ottawa and Carleton aren't aren't too good, um, but even McGill uh, last year they had a bit of an off year. They weren't that much into con- contention, but they they still had a few players drafted in the in the CWHL. Had a few players attend the um, the the U Sports camp, and um, man, I was also look, looking at the standings uh, in 2014-2015. The Stingers had an eight, seven, and five record and finished third in the division. Mm-hmm. So I think that's right before True came in. I think she came in 2015, 2016. So you kind of see that that change. And last year they had uh, they had a um, fourteen, four, and two record. So almost double the wins. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we can talk about this all day long. Winning culture breeds winning. <laughs> you got to have those people who have won big games before. Yeah. And when you look at this women's hockey team at Concordia, there's not really another team that has that same kind of experience on the bench and on uh, on both sides of the bench as the players and as coaches. I, th- I think even historically, like um, I was looking at the, the, the stats from the 97-98 uh, women's hockey team who also were inducted into the Concordia Sports Hall of Fame. They went undefeated in the regular season. Undefeated, thirteen and zero. They outscored McGill thirty-six to one in four games. Imagine beating your crosstown rivals thirty-six to one in four games. That uh, that team is incredible, and and that team that year obviously was an Olympic year, so they didn't have um, Karen By 
and um, Cami Granado, who had played for them the season before, but then they were away on the national te- uh, national team camp um, that season. This all season, Matt, the Stingers lost four games, two in exhibition and two against the U.S. Women's National Team. <laughs> so really, they lost. They lost twice. Exactly. <laughs> And when we're kind of looking at the effect that's having at bigger leagues and at the CWHL, seeing those players who come to Concordia and have those great seasons and then seeing them get drafted kind of validates all of the, the work that that team's putting in. When you have you know your captain getting drafted to the team that is in the same city as the university, it shows that those teams are watching university hockey and they're taking into account that this hockey is legitimate and it's uh, it's right up there with the NCAA for producing players. And, and not only are the Canadiens uh, the professional team in the city, but they're also a team home to Hillary Knight, uh, Mary Foot uh and and just some other amazing um, uh, Olympians. Mm-hmm. And so last year, obviously, uh, the Canadiens missed a lot of players for the Olympics. And you kind of saw that. They, they lost in the first round against the Calgary Inferno after winning the uh, Clarkson Cup the year before. So now they're they're just a star-studded team. Um, it's gonna be nasty. <laughs> it's gonna be nasty. Hillary Knight with uh, <laughs> Mary Philip Play, exactly. Two of the best players in women's hockey. Oh my straight goodness. up. Straight, besides maybe Amanda Kessel, who it's right up there. She's right up there. Yeah, and then like, and then obviously you got, you got Knight and Poulain play on the same team. It's as if, uh, imagine let's say Big David and Crosby. <laughs> exactly. You're taking two of the top of their fields, and we saw in the Olympics they both had great Olympics. And now you put them on the same team. It's it's like the Golden State Warriors of the, of the CWHL at this point. <laughs> they have to win the championship. They, they have to. The, they the have expectations to. are that high. <laughs> and uh, we're seeing the CWHL really become a, a force in professional hockey. The Canadian just moved into Place Belle in Laval, the where the Laval Rocket of the AHL are playing. So that's an upgrade over the arena that they were playing uh, in last season as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Good for them because that's a state-of-the-art facility. Um you know, it's it's about fifteen thousand seats. I don't think they'll be track, attracting fifteen thousand fans every single game, but if they ever need to, they can. Exactly. You know, last year in the playoffs, they played at the um, Bell Sports Complex in Broussard, and basically the seating there is just on one side. Mm-hmm. Could fit maybe two thousand people. Let's say, you know, it was packed. It was packed. People were had people couldn't sit. Uh, I, w- I went to go watch a game with my cousin, and, and people couldn't sit. You had to stand behind the glass, like in the kind of in the bar section. So, Udplast Bell for those playoffs games, for the big games, it's gonna be it's gonna be rocking, and and I think women's hockey uh, in Canada kind of needs that um, economic development. Mm-hmm, exactly, and putting them in Plast Bell shows that there's a certain level of commitment and trust that they can attract those numbers. Maybe not fifteen thousand every game, but that being said, the AHL doesn't even attract that. But <laughs> no. having the opportunity to have that if needed, you know, if they make the finals or if there's a big game even bringing in just a little bit more than what the other arena could bring in just shows that this is a team and this is a league that is really stepping up and becoming, you know, is it kind of coming into its own as a professional league. And it's also very young. It started in mm-hmm. 2007, so it's only 11 years old. Exactly. And and obviously there's always the debate um, that obviously the players don't get paid uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have second jobs. And um, it just is some, obviously that's another thing that's just going to take time. As the league grows... There's going to be more money into the league, more money for the players. And uh, a league that's 11 years old, you look at historically, never made a, a lot of money. But then a league 20, 30, 40 years old is going to make mm-hmm. money. So 
this is step one into that that growth for the CWHL. Exactly. It's like the NHL really only came into its own in the mid '90s for money. If a money 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 reason, yeah, yeah, yeah. From a money making perspective, yeah. it really became and it started in 1917. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it took it 80 years to become one of the top four leagues in North America. Yeah, and and I don't know if the CWHL ever wants uh, to be the money making machine that the NHL is, where it's almost Robin mm-hmm. fans. Yeah, <laughs> of of uh, of money. Obviously, the CWHL wants to make money, mm-hmm. but like, uh, it, I think it's it aims to be more of a family friendly experience. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to charge fans a uh, hundred dollars to sit on, on the roof. You know, no, thank God. <laughs> so, but but you know, it it's going to take some time. If you, even if you look at NHL players in the nineteen twenties and thirties, they had secondary jobs too, exactly. right? So it's so, just the evolution of yeah. the league. It takes time. Yeah, it takes and time, and it's going to get there. And, and honestly, like it's great. It's great that Plaza Bell is there. Exactly, and it's great hockey. Uh, it's so much fun to watch. It is. It's it, incredible. It, it is. You always you obviously see the debate. Oh, there's no hitting in women's hockey. Well, doesn't that make it better? Doesn't that <laughs> require more skill? Exactly. Imagine, imagine when they, when they say no hitting. It's in quotations. That's like yeah, one of yeah. the most physical They're, leagues. Yeah, exactly. Women's you, hockey, like... You're not allowed laying out somewhere. Exactly. But th- there's contact on the boards. There's yeah. battles and they go hard. They, yeah, they do. You see that with the Stingers too. Exactly. You see that with the Stingers too. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go to a break right now. You're listening to CJLO Sports on CJLO 1690 AM. Welcome back to CJLO Sports on CJLO 1690 AM. And we have a special guest in the studio with us now. We have Etienne Lajoie former news editor at the Concordian, current uh, sports reporting superstar right now. How are you doing? At, at The Athletic. <laughs> good. Thanks good. for coming. Yeah, welcome. So you're here right now because you got a story published in The Athletic that I thought was was very interesting. And I'm hoping maybe you could tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. So I um, I wrote for uh, The Athletic's uh, long-form platform, which is called Inc. Um, and it's essentially about this hockey team that plays in this Polish town called Oshwensen which is Polish for Auschwitz. So they essentially they play in the town uh, where the Auschwitz concentra- concentration camp is. Um, and yeah, and I talked to players and um, mostly North American players, but also some local players, but also people in the town about what it's like to play there and just why there is a team there in the first place because, I don't know, there's some misconceptions for some people that like this town is still you know like desolated and kind of empty you know Mm -hmm. but like that's obviously things have moved on and essentially that's what this piece is about what were some of the players saying about just living in Auschwitz uh the town where Auschwitz was and and playing there so essentially there are two only two North Americans I can get into that after but like essentially there's only one or two sort of proven North Americans that have played in Auschwitz but most of the players I talked to were playing in other towns so um in the Polish league uh, like 95% 95% of teams play in the south where Auschwitz is. So most teams go there often, but they go in and they go out. Like, you know, like they play the day of and then they leave after the game. Uh, but they were all kind of saying how they all had different perspectives. Some of them um, were saying how sort of eerie it is and how really unique it is. But also some were saying like what you need to understand is that a lot of players that play in Poland, even if they're Canadian or Americans, have Polish you know polish roots mm-hmm. or polish blood so for some of them it was like you know it was it was really interesting for them to play it wasn't like eerie at all it was kind of like you know like this is an interesting part of history and we need to understand it and having a team there is part of that history you know so um they all had really different perspectives but they were all really interesting yeah mm-hmm. 
And how did you even come across the story? How did you find out about this team? Yeah, so I, it was kind of a coincidence. I was like watching uh, videos on YouTube, I believe, and I came across this this like Australian or British documentary crew that went to uh, sort of film the team probably like five or six years ago and they just visited the team and they filmed this like 15 minute documentary um not even 15 minutes but it was like six or seven minutes sorry and yeah it, it, i thought it was just fascinating i never knew i never knew there was a team there essentially did did you go to, to i didn't porn? go okay didn't go. yeah it was it was <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, <laughs> this didn't like didn't get you the, the private jet unfortunately <laughs> because the first part of the article looks like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you've been there you know that's like that's <laughs> also like the beauty of just like having uh google talk to people there and i mean obviously that's a result of like just like being able to call people there and also like just honestly google street view and like yeah because <laughs> it's it's i mean it works <laughs> that's just uh and when it comes down to the hockey of the the sure. team what does hockey mean to this town is this a town that has historically always had this team or is this a team that's that's fairly new um this is like not a new team they've been there for 30 to 40 years but mm -hmm. like Brit polish hockey is really interesting in that you're really dependent on whatever sponsor you have so um the region there has a lot of um of uh, chemical companies and really sort of old industries you know so mm. there's a company in town called synthos and their 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 offices is right across from the arena and synthos used to 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 sort of finance and support the team financially so from 95, I think, from two, no, 90, 98 to 2004, they won the league championship seven years in a row. And, like, it's not a coincidence that during that time they were, spawn, like, they were financed by that, mm -hmm. that, that company. So, um, they're, to come back to your question, I mean, they were important. They were really relevant then because they were winning and they just had a lot of cash flow and they could buy players and players were good and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. right now it's more of a, like, it's been difficult in the last few years and if you look at the roster right now like most of the players are from the town they mm -hmm. don't have any imports and they don't have so well, they're not as good as and they're not as sort of relevant in the town but it used to be a lot so it's kind of fluctuates yeah i mean do they get a uh, big attendance like no it's it's like quite small attendance and they have like a uh, a pretty big i mean relatively big arena for like their size of a crowd but they don't have huge crowds no mm -hmm. you mentioned that there was a couple north american players on the team yeah how did they end up at that team oh yeah so um i spoke to this i mean you've probably both have gone on elite prospects which is the largest mm -hmm. hockey database in the world and on elite prospects which is where i found a lot of players that played in poland um you kind of get the nationality of players as like a little flag. Mm -hmm. uh, but since most of the guys on the team and most of the guys in Poland who are even born in North America or something have dual citizenship, they often appear as Polish players. Mm. So I couldn't find any players on the roster to actually play that were actually born North Americans. Mm -hmm. um, but then I talked to actually a reporter who was born and raised in that town. And he was like, Oh, there's two guys you should know about that played there. And, one of them I couldn't contact. I couldn't get reach him. His name is Jacob Mazurek, and he's obviously a Polish descent. He's from Calgary, I think. And the second guy, I actually talked to him a lot, and he's sort of the main character of my my uh, my piece. His name is um, Jacob Kubrak. So Jacob Kubrak um, 
how he ended up there. It's kind of a long story, but and essentially he was born in Bielostok, which is like a town in northeastern Poland. And at nine years old, he moved to New York City, grew up playing in the States. And he actually um, went to play after college in a town called Sanok. And then he got traded there. He got traded to Auschwitz um, in 0809. And at that time, uh, Auschwitz was in second division in Poland. So mm-hmm. he actually led the team up to promotion. And so he was traded during the, uh, like at the like sort of trade deadline and he joined a team trade deadline and he uh, he and the team like were promoted in next year so they won the promotion they won the sort of second league championship so is uh he's sort of the main yeah character mm-hmm. so so I'm guessing when they kind of went down uh, to the second division and came back up that was more or less financial struggling time yeah that was but that was also big like when they won the championship like like Kubrick was describing it to me and it, I mean the crowd was like the, the the city was like crazy you know it was like a big success and um there's also a soccer team in town but he's like the the soccer team what from our from what I understand has been better in the last few years than the hockey team so um essentially you know the hockey team took a step back but in 2008 2009 they won it was big but now they're kind of like you know middle of the pack or or bottom of the standings mm-hmm. And why did you feel it was significant to kind of go and tell this story? Um, well, I thought it was like an interesting, I don't know. I I was really curious to know how uh, North Americans were sort of approaching it. And mm-hmm. um, one of the questions I asked players was like, I mean, do you, do you see yourself as like sort of part of history? Because this, I felt like the sports team, I mean, was part of the history of that town. And the history of that town is so linked to the camp itself. So I was like... I was sort of trying to understand if the player sort of understood or if my conception of their place in history was significant at all. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I I mean, there's like, I mean, some players are obviously like sort of nonchalant and sort of, you know, like they're like, I'm here to play hockey and that's pretty much it, you know. Mm -hmm. But like, I was sort of trying to understand if players were what they thought of their place, I guess, in history. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, um the town is obviously very, very uh, historic. I mean, I know you didn't go, but uh, just trying to do research for this, looking at Google Images, uh, what what kind of a town is it now? Oh, it's just a typical. It's it's such a, like a normal town, uh, and I mentioned this in a piece. But like, uh, Vice Talk, Vice Germany did a piece in uh, earlier this year in 2018, like January or something, and it was called like what it's like to live in Auschwitz in 2018. It's it's just mm-hmm. like a normal place you mm-hmm. know and that was it's a normal town it has like malls it has but it just has this camp which is like kind of historic but like it never historically I, I talked to like a historian that works at a museum there and she was like you know um it's we obviously we didn't choose to be linked to this i mean we didn't like the camp the the town was selected by the germans just like sort of randomly it was like a small town and that's mm-hmm. it but like if without just a camp like it's just like normal town in poland Mm -hmm. yeah well i I saw that story pop up on my twitter feed and it immediately caught my eye so you know thanks for coming in kind of sharing a little bit about it and kind of what the process was to write that and you know a couple minutes left in the show here we're gonna do a quick little game notes of kind of maybe some spots uh, in sports that we found significant so nick do you kind of want to start off with what's a sports story that kind of grabbed your your ear and your eyes a little bit baker mayfield baker mayfield um what he did 
obviously fantastic. I, I mean, attend. Do you do you have anything? <laughs> sports sports stories. Yeah, <laughs> like anything that you saw today that maybe you know that was a uh, kind of grip into you or was uh, your highlight of the week. Uh, wow. Obviously, I mean, I didn't watch it, but like, I mean, everybody was talking about Tiger, so I guess true that pretty uh that was pretty significant yeah mm-hmm. yeah good for him first time he won a, um, a golf ch- uh, tournament in five years obviously I had to battle a lot through through back surgeries but back to mayfield so this happened uh last thursday night against the jets So Baker Mayfield and the Browns pulled off the Philly special Cleveland style uh, <laughs> as a two-point convert. And I just got to say how stupid the New York Jets defense is. So this is the th- third time we've saw- we've seen this trick play in the NFL. Obviously the Eagles in the Super Bowl last year and the Eagles in the opening night against the Falcons. And uh, obviously the key to trick play is having your quarterback line up uh, either behind his uh, left uh, left back, left back, <laughs> left tackle. <laughs> it's not soccer or right tackle, and and kind of pretending to be uh, saying orders, and then center snaps the ball to running back, and meanwhile the quarterback is off on a swing route mm-hmm. to the left to the right, catching that wide open pass. So in the plate, Baker Mayfield, man, it's pretty obvious. He's right behind his left tackle. I couldn't believe how open he was. Barking orders. And the Jets just aren't paying attention to, uh, attention to him. Should, as a defense, shouldn't you always be paying attention to the quarterback, even when he's not directly behind the center? Mm-hmm. Like, come on. This has to stop in the NFL. It was fun the first time. It was okay the second time. Third time, it's like, yeah, it's good for the offense. But the idiot, uh, the, the defense are just like, no, sorry for that. <laughs> I feel like this was a week like how I was kind of dominated by the rookie QB uh, conversation. You had Mayfield uh, with the Browns. You had Josh Allen with the Bills getting their first win of the season. And Hurdling, uh, the defender on that one, almost getting taken out. But uh, we're kind of seeing the, the rookie QB step up into their own tier a little bit. Unfortunately, with the Jets and with the Cardinals, we kind of had those two QBs get thrown into the fire into the, some games where they didn't really have a chance. But uh, Darnold with the Jets, you know, it's embarrassing whenever you lose the Browns, and no team's been able been able to say they lost the Browns in two years now. So yeah, and you know what? The Browns are one one and one, and they have a better record than the New England Patriots, who are Ooh. one and two. So what you're saying is that the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl, one hundred percent in twenty forty six. In twenty forty six. 